Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Baby, baby, it's a wild world. It's hard to get by just upon a smile. Oh, baby, baby, it's wild card. Little Cat Stevens for you on a random Wednesday, September 29th, the second to last day of the end of the ninth month of 2021. 2021 is going to be 75% over. After tomorrow, if you're listening to this today or maybe tomorrow, then it's almost over. If two days from now, if you're downloading, we're done. We're in October. It's all about baseball right now. I'm excited. I'm watching football, too. I'm excited. The training camp starting in the NBA. But man, the baseball season, this is it. Whether you're a huge fan or not, come playoff time, you're watching. And I want to give you some storylines for this wild card, this wild world, this wild last week, since you know the playoffs begin next week. A week from today is the National League wild card. One week from today, the St. Louis Cardinals will be in either San Francisco and Los Angeles. The St. Louis Cardinals last night won their 17th game in a row. I was going back and thinking the win streaks in 18 years of a career. And I couldn't think of a 10 game winning streak. I also couldn't think of a 10 game losing streak. Now it's not impossible. I may have forgotten over the thousands of games and I'm sure someone's going to check it out for me and get at me at David P. Sampson on Twitter. And I'm not saying I'm not appreciative, but I don't know when the last Marlin streak of 10 or more was. All I know is that no team has won 17 in a row in the National League in like 70 years. It's impossible to do. It's as hard to win 17 in a row as it is to lose 17 in a row. I think the Cleveland Indians may have won 20 in a row or 22 in a row. But this kind of clutch winning reminds me of the Colorado Rockies many years ago when they had an unbelievable sprint to the finish to clinch a wild card spot. And that's what the Cardinals did with a 70-year-old Adam Wainwright, a 60-year-old catcher named Yadier Molina, a trade that was made thanks to the Rockies with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, a trade with the Diamondbacks to get Paul Goldschmidt. They've put together a team which costs money, but they have managed to put together a winning team, even with their number one pitcher, Jack Flaherty, having a fine season, but nothing outstanding, and now moving to the bullpen because he's hurt. What does this mean? It means that there are 26 teams right now, and I say 26 because I want to exclude the Yankees. I want to exclude the Dodgers. I'm going to exclude 
the Cubs, and I'm going to exclude the Red Sox. The other 26 teams, so I have to exclude the Cardinals, so 25 teams are looking at what the Cardinals are doing and saying, why not us? Why not now? Pourquoi pas nous? Pourquoi pas maintenant? Why can't we just get hot? That's all we have to do. Executives say it all throughout the season when they value their team as a playoff team and they're not playing well. The Cardinals had a 2.8% chance of making the playoffs when they won their first game in a row 17 games ago. And that went from 2.8 to 100 in the course of two weeks, 17 days. So when you've got maybe fewer because maybe no off days and they did have a doubleheader in there against the Cubs. So maybe it's 16 days, but I'm assuming there was an off day. So let's just say 17 days. And everyone holds on. They do the math and say, we're good. They tell their fans, they tell the press, they tell their owner, we're good. We're just going to get hot. We're going to be that team. We're going to be the Cardinals. It is so difficult for it to happen, but everyone lives on that dream. They literally, they put down stakes and they say, I'm building a tent here on the dream that we're going to get hot before it's too late. The American League has a team sort of like it. The Seattle Mariners are now only a half game back. That's the same Seattle Mariners team that at the deadline traded one of their best bullpen arms. Everyone was up in arms. They hated Jerry DePoto, the GM. All the players were trying to win in spite of their owners, like in Major League. There's a lot of that going on right now. Several teams are trying to win to spite their owners. But the Mariners, for some reason, have just... There's only one thing they've done, actually. As you really think about it, what they've done is they've taken a team who they had to play 10 or 11 times, and they swept them. And it happened to be a team in their division who they were chasing for a playoff spot. The Oakland Athletics cannot beat the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners have beaten them 10 or 11 times in a row. They find themselves a half game back, having catapulted over the Blue Jays, who had such a good start to September and have faded of late. They lost their opening game against the Yankees in that huge three-game series. But I want to go back to Seattle, and I want to talk to all the fans in Seattle. You're all getting a bad reputation right now because only 12,000 people showed up to last night's game, which was a huge game. And people around the country are saying, how can that be? They're in the race. They're only a half game back. Why is no one going to the game? I've got the answer. Go back and look at the box scores in 2003 when the Marlins were clinching the wild card, having been the best team since May 31st of that year. And forget the inflation and all the made up numbers that I gave the actual at pro player stadium in those days was 10, 11, nine, 10, 11, 12. And baseball would call and Bud Seeley would say, what the hell is going on with your attendance there? And I would say, Bud, attendance is based on FSEs and we don't have squat. FSEs are called full season equivalents. If someone buys an 81 game plan, 81 home games, that's a full season equivalent. If another person buys a 41 game plan, you have one and a half season ticket holders. If a third client buys a 41 game plan, you have three clients, but only two season ticket holders. Then in each particular game, the most you can have 
is the number of full season equivalents. Because if two people own the same seat, 41 games each, say 40 games and 41 games, because there's only 81 games to a home season. You take one seat, you sell it to two people, half and half. Well, on a particular Tuesday night in September, only one of those two people can be there. Do we agree? The other person says, oh, it's not my game. Should I buy an individual ticket to the game to check it out? Hell no. I'll go to my next game, which is tomorrow night. Therefore, unless you have 20,000 FSEs, your attendance is not 20,000. Your attendance is made up of season ticket holders who go to that particular game plus your group sales for that particular game, plus your individual quote-unquote walk-up sales. Walk-up sales used to literally mean people would walk up to the box office and buy tickets game day. We would call it game day sales. And we'd always say if we're hot, big pitching matchup, meaningful game, maybe you get 6,000 walk-ups, 7,000. And that would be a tremendous job. Same day sales. Now it's all internet based, so you can dream higher. We're going to get 12,000 people to go on the Google, get on seat master ticket geek vivid video and buy a ticket to tonight's game. And before each game, we give to the stadium who operates the facility, the concessionaire, the security company, we give them a breakdown of what we expect during a particular homestand. We update it for each particular game because that's how they staff it. There's no way the Mariners expected anything more than 12,000 because I'll tell you that they've got under 10,000 season ticket holders by far. Those numbers get released, but they're all I'm winking if you're watching on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. They're a little bit of... Now, we can't lie within baseball because there's something called the Financial Information Questionnaire, an FIQ, where for revenue sharing purposes and audit purposes, you have to give your exact and true and real ticket revenue, number of season ticket holders, full season equivalents, partial plan holders. You have to break it all down. That is not what gets announced. That is not what we say to the media. That is not part of the box score. None of that. And believe me, MLB doesn't give you the truth of those numbers because they're embarrassed. The union doesn't give you the truth of those numbers because they think that if there's any word out there that there's such bad gate going on that that could impact salaries. The public entities don't want the truth because then they'll say, oh, man, the investment we made in the ballpark was a waste. So it is a conspiracy of misinformation. Hmm. That sounds familiar. It's a conspiracy just so everyone says, hey, we're going to fake it till we make it. So for the Mariners, here's how it's going to work. And it's going to be super simple. They're going to keep drawing around 12 to 14,000 through the end of the season. And if they make the playoffs, mark my word. They likely will be on the road for a wild card game, but let's say they win that and they're in the division series and they host a game three because you'd host game three or four if you're the road team in a five-game series in the division series, Safeco will be sold out. Just like every ballpark gets sold out for the playoffs. Now, how do those tickets go when you still have full season equivalents that are less than a sellout, way less? 
Well, then you've got people where you say the following. You own half a season ticket here. Your season ticket seat is being used by your partner in that season ticket. But hey, we're giving you a chance to buy a ticket to this game at a seat near where you normally sit. So that is what teams do to get games sold out that are announced very quickly. So if there is a tiebreaker game, let's say a home tiebreaker game, and you wonder how those tickets get distributed so easily, they are just flushed out on the web. And they are also all of your salespeople are contacting every season ticket holder via email via the app saying you're eligible to buy more tickets. And then people do because it's a playoff game, but they don't for a random win over the A's to get them only a half game back. Very frustrating for a team president or someone, a chief revenue officer, because you can't understand why wouldn't people want to come to these games? Well, if you watch the Toronto game, it didn't look sold out, but it really was because in Canada and Ontario, you the maximum, I think, is 30,000. There were 30,000 people to watch the Yankees lineup do what the Yankees lineup is supposed to do, but rarely does, but has been doing for the last two months. And that is having the twin towers of Ralph Sampson and Akeem Olajuwon or David Robinson and Tim Duncan act like the superstars that they are. You can't pitch to Stanton or Judge right now. Do you remember the uh, wait to see I had with Stanton when we talked about him? He was on the injured list a long time ago. I'm trying to remember when that was. Uh, on May 18th, I said, while Stanton was injured, I said, I, I've been speaking to Giancarlo. He's not going to get hurt again. He's changed his approach, and he's not going to be on the IL again this year. Well, guess what? That wait to see came true. He's not going to be on the IL again this year. Wait a minute, David. What if he gets hurt today? God forbid. I have a little nugget for you. When there's under 10 days left in the season, you don't put any player on the injured list because you've got the ability to bring up players. And so you don't need to use the injured list. So Stan is not going to go on the injured list again this year. There are players who go on the COVID list like Albert Pujols just did. He got the second shot, and so he went on the injured list to bring up Bellinger. But generally, you're not putting players on the injured list. So I'm taking the victory on that Stanton one right now. But Stanton has been in September alone. 10 home runs, 25 RBI. Judge has eight home runs, 20 RBI. After an August when Stanton went 9-25. and 25. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. Oh, Coca, what do you have for me? Where was that pre-show? All right. Tell me it. In MLB history, this is funny. He talks and I'm talking. In MLB history, the only other duo to have eight-plus home runs and 20-plus RBI in August and September were Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Ooh, that's... Is that Yankee history or MLB history? In MLB history... It's Ruth and Gehrig. I guess Stanton and Judge are doing their Ruth and Gehrig imitation. They're gonna, they may host a wild card game after all is said and done and then go play Tampa. So here's the approach to Stanton. I want you to go back and look at the video, if you don't mind, of the home run he hit last night. He hit a three-run home run. And uh, I want you to look at the pitch that he hit. And when he's hitting change-ups and breaking balls for home runs like, like he's doing, uh, you have a problem. 
because he's laying off sliders away and he's hitting the spin and golfing it 600 feet. The best thing you can do if you are facing Giancarlo Stanton and you're the Blue Jays is you've got to give him the BT. This is it. You've got a chance to make the playoffs if you're the Blue Jays. You cannot let Stanton hurt you. Let Judge hurt you. BT is the Bonds treatment. You put Giancarlo on first base every time. Just walk him. Let Gallo, who's hitting behind him, hit the home run or make Aaron Boone switch around his lineup and have Judge hit behind Stanton. But while Gallo is hitting behind Stanton, walk him every time. He's just in one of those modes and moods and times where he's unstoppable. Five games left. That's it. It's exciting. All right, let's go to the nothing personal pick of the day. We won. I told you that Charlie Morton would beat Zach Wheeler. The Philadelphia Phillies are disgraceful. They should be a playoff team. Some combination of Joe Girardi, Dave Dombrowski, and John Middleton, along with Bryce Harper, has made it so they just cannot get it together. And Harper is probably the favorite to win MVP, though I may think about Soto, but I can't. And I may think about Tatis, but I can't. The Phillies really are the best team of those three, shockingly, but they're all going to miss the playoffs. That's why I'd like to give it to Vladimir Guerrero, except that's in the American League. So Harper's going to win the MVP, and the Phillies can't make the playoffs. I told you Morton would beat Wheeler. 125 and 106. So the Dodgers and Giants keep winning. There's still a two-game spread with five to play. I think the Giants' magic number is four to win that division. It's very hard to catch up two games with five to go, but not impossible, especially when the Giants don't lose. But the Dodgers are playing the Padres, and I just don't expect the Padres to win again. The Padres are likely going to finish under 500. The World Series winning Padres, the offseason winners of 2021, who only 10 months ago were being lauded as the saviors of Southern California baseball are likely not to win 81 games. And they're going against Max Scherzer, who is pitching for the final time in the regular season. Today is Wednesday. Count it with me. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Monday is his regular pitching day. What game could be Monday? Wait for it. The season ends Sunday. The wild card game is Tuesday. Wait. Oh, yeah a tiebreaker against the San Francisco Giants to win the NL West if both teams finish in a tie. Is it worth it to pitch your best pitcher in a tie-breaking game? You're goddamn right it is. That's a straight code blue when you can win a division and not have to play one game to stay in the playoffs against the hottest team in baseball. So look for Scherzer to beat the Padres. That's the pick of the day. And then on top of that, look for Scherzer to pitch if there's a tiebreaker. If not, he will pitch the wild card game on Wednesday. So he will have basically six days rest. That's the pick of the day. How long did it take for the Tampa Bay Rays to give up on their sign idea? Did you listen to yesterday's show? We did a show yesterday where we were wondering why Tampa was going to put a sign lauding its split city plan. Their team president, who I have great respect for, Matt Silverman, I said he made a mistake. He said, I don't want to take any pressure or uh, not pressure. Give me the word, Coca. I don't want to take any attention. That's not the word I was thinking of, but that's what it means. 
off our playoff run, off October baseball. So we're just going to put a subtle little sign in foul territory about the Tamprial x-rays. And then Stu Sternberg had to, as the owner, do something that most owners wouldn't do. If this were me, the sign would have gone away with all of the public pressure. I would have gotten a call from the owner saying, bad idea, David. Get rid of that sign and you get there in front of the media and tell them that you screwed it up and that you were wrong. Stu Sternberg actually took to the media and said, I've made a mistake. This wasn't Stu's idea, this sign, but he's owning it. He said he's making a mistake because he doesn't want to be disrespectful to the people in Tampa, even though he's now playing in St. Pete. He doesn't want to be disrespectful to what the Rays are trying to do on the field, which is winning the first World Series in franchise history. He doesn't want to be disrespectful to the players who have worked all season long to get to this point. And so he put the kibosh on the sign promoting the split city plan. But did the Rays accomplish their goal? They did, actually. Because everyone's talking about it. Everyone's waiting for the net for the news out of Montreal that they financed an open air stadium. Yeah, okay. Everyone's waiting for the news that Tampa has a deal to finance an open air stadium. Everyone assumes this is the best one that the union and MLB have an agreement already that the players are willing to do the split city plan. Horse hockey. The union has no such agreement with the players. I don't need a source. That's 18 years of experience telling you that there is zero chance the union would agree to a split city plan unless it's as part of a much bigger agreement. Tampa Bay is a revenue sharing suckhole the way Miami is, the way Kansas City is, the way Cleveland is. Don't worry, it's not just you and Tampa or Miami. The union can't stand what Tampa does. They hate Tampa. They don't mind Miami because they have a low payroll and suck. What they mind is Tampa, who has a low payroll and kicks arse every single year. The union is not looking to do Tampa any favors. They want to get Tampa in a new ballpark with higher revenue and making sure that their payroll goes up. There's no pre-approved split city plan. But was that the goal of putting the sign on the side of the ballpark? No, the goal was to get the Tampa government to step up and to get the Montreal government to step up and get ready for possible expansion or relocation. MLB is taking a quiet approach to this. MLB is not commenting. MLB is saying they didn't know, wasn't part of what we do. Here's a little nugget that they're not telling you. Every playoff team, just FYI, They have to submit to MLB a list of every sign that will be in the ballpark during the playoffs. Every single outfield sign, foul territory sign, any sort of LED board anywhere. MLB takes over the green screen in the back of the plate. That's all sold by MLB. But all of the outfield wall signs, you send in the list and it gets approved. I'm just throwing it out there so that you're not tricked into thinking that MLB had no part in this leverage play. Does that make them wrong? No. Does it make it effective? That's a pretty good way to see. 
when we come back, we are coming back, aren't we? We are going to review a movie that I told you we review called The Protégé. And we're going to explain to you how Steve Cohn, the man, the myth, and the Twitter legend, can make money while you're not even looking. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. I'm David Sampson. How was that tease, Coca? Did we do it right? I get yelled at after like seven out of 10 shows because the tease is not enough to make you get through the gauntlet of commercials. And then when I come back from the commercials, I say, thank you for rating, reviewing, downloading, telling your friends about nothing personal. Let's keep building this show that we're doing. Get on YouTube and please hit subscribe. Don't you want to see what blazer I'm wearing? Because I got this in Yemen while I was salmon fishing. It's very nice. Different blazer, different shirt. Doesn't match either the carpet, the drapes in this room, nothing, but I do like it. Watch a movie every day. I told you I'd watch The Protégé. I paid, was it a $14.99 movie on Amazon or on iTunes or somewhere? It's a new movie starring Michael Keaton, Samuel Jackson, and Maggie Q. Samuel Jackson plays Samuel Jackson. He's at the point in his career where he's playing the same character now. And he's still good at it because he looks amazing. If you close your eyes just a little bit, like a little tiny squint, and you just open your ears, it sounds like they're having a conversation about Royale with cheese and that he's quoting a biblical verse. But he's that kind of guy in this movie. He's a killer. I guess he can do that in his sleep. I wonder what Samuel Jackson dreams about other than the money that he makes from all these unbelievably interesting movies. Michael Keaton's almost 70 and plays the love interest in theory and wants to kill Maggie Q. Maggie Q is not 70. She is quite a bit younger. This is a December, February situation and their chemistry is perfect. I enjoyed every part of the movie. 
it's a movie about death. It's a movie about gross killing. And it's a movie where people are trying to avenge deaths and destruction. And it's entertaining. It's called The Protégé because Maggie Q is the protege of Samuel Jackson. Okay, that's it. All right, let's get to Steve Cohn. Have to. It's too good. So I'd like to make an official thank you. I got a, uh, Coke and I got a raise from CBS two days ago. And the raise we got was simply because of all the content that Stephen Cohn has supplied to us as owner of the Mets. And they're just so happy with it because every single day, all of the Mets fans and Yankees fans and people out on the left coast and in the Southeast, everyone's listening to these shows, but I can't make up what he does. It's, I'm not that creative. And because I'm not that creative, I was always perfectly fine with hiring marketing agencies, advertising agencies. I wanted people to flood me with ideas and, and the owner, Jeffrey, with ideas of taglines and campaigns, billboards, social media, anything to try to sell tickets, anything to improve attendance. And I was lucky. The owner that I worked with for 18 years, Jeffrey Loria, is in the art business, has an amazing eye and ear for design and art, whether it's Picasso or a street artist. And he can look at an advertising campaign and make decisions that are interesting, like Pourquoi Pas New, Why Not Us, Pourquoi Pas Maintenant, Why Not Now? That was done by Jeffrey, came up with that in Montreal, and we translated it into every language of the players that we had in Montreal. So like Hideki Arabu was an expo. So we did that in Japanese and had that show. We had it in Spanish. We had it in English. We had it in French because Montreal, obviously, c'est français. C'est Québécois, vraiment, mais c'est pas Paris. Anyway, but he didn't own any of these companies that we hired. He would just be involved in the hiring of these companies and they would present things. Some would be a yes, some would be a no. And then we'd have our tagline, our campaign. Some of you may remember it, get in the game from Florida. We did that a few times. Who's zooming who? No, we didn't do that. That's Aretha Franklin. Preview, Aretha Franklin. Reviewing respect tomorrow. I'm going to watch that. Who's zooming who? So Steve Cohn has owned the team for one year. He's going to lose more than 81 games. He's not making the playoffs. And if you looked at the Met Marlins doubleheader yesterday that the Mets swept, by the way, hip, hip, hooray. It looked like Marlins Park. The entire upper deck was shut down, closed. There was no one there. When Steve Cohn bought the team, he had projections that were used to explain his $2.4 billion purchase price, roughly enterprise value, which means less debt and other obligations. And there's no way he projected the lack of attendance that exists at City Field right now. So he decided, I have an idea. I'm a new owner and I know what to do. I'm going to hire a company I'm going to do a request for proposal and I'm going to hire a branding company. I got it. How about Range Media Partners? They're the best in the business. We need help evolving the Mets brand, accelerating innovation and engagement across the organization. 
We need someone to merge the realms of sports and entertainment in new and original ways by integrating the iconic Mets brand into film, television, fashion, social media, and music. Oh my God, I love it. He's trying to do something that every other team has tried to do every single year. Guess what? How about winning some games, Stevie man? That may be the best innovation you could do. But I like where your head's at. I like that you want to try. Hold on, Steve Cohn. Please meet Steve Ross. Steve Ross, owner of the Dolphins, said the very same thing when he involved Mark Anthony and Serena Williams and Venus Williams and everyone else to be the star limited partners. And they did this red carpet entry into a Dolphins game where there was paparazzi that he paid to have there. And everyone said, this is the place to be. We put in live nightclub at Dolphin Stadium. We're going to party our nips off. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. Oh, my God. We stink as a team. No one wants to go to this club or walk this red carpet. All right, we're going to change our mind. Let's sign some players and try to win. Oh, man, that's not working either. Steve, my best advice to you, Mr. Cohn, would be to win games. But you win. And here's why. Do you know what Range Media Partners is, folks? It's a company that is owned by another company called Point72 Ventures. Hmm, what's that? Ah, that's Steve Cohn's venture capital fund. So here's how this works. Steve Cohn puts money in to something called Range Media Partners. He's investing his money, other people's money, where he has to show a rate of return. When I invest in something, I want to build it up, get more revenue out of that thing, and then sell it, break it, break it up into pieces, or just have it operating with a positive cash flow. Not like the Mets, which are a negative cash flow. So Range Media Partners goes out and tries to get business because they're an advertising agency, a marketing firm, whatever they are. The Mets say, hmm, we need to hire someone. Steve Cohn says, I have an idea. Here's who we're going to hire. We're going to take money from the Mets. And we're going to pay Range Media Partners a huge sum of money to come up with this innovative plan of hiring comedians to play during games so people who don't want to watch on the field can listen to comedy or they can just watch the field and then laugh, whatever they want to do. So Range Media Partners gets revenue. The Mets get to deduct an expense for purposes of revenue sharing because you can deduct marketing expenses and brand expenses. Wow. No wonder he's a billionaire. I've never criticized Steve from a business standpoint. Not once, not once. And the reason I've never criticized him is he knows exactly what he's doing. And in this case, no firm had a chance for this business other than the firm that was owned and funded by Steve Cohn's other business. Will they be successful? Will they ever be fired? Fat chance to both. Good luck. The Mets had some positive yesterday, I guess. Did you watch the Mets' second game of the doubleheader when Noah Syndergaard took the mound for the first time in two years? Were you a little wistful? I like it when players come back from Tommy John. It makes me smile because I want those players to come back. I liked watching Syndergaard blow 96, throw change-ups at 89, get through a one, two, three first inning. 
Everyone's all excited in Twitter land. Noah Syndergaard's back. I told you that DeGrom wouldn't pitch again, but that Syndergaard would. And I told you that Syndergaard wanted to prove to himself that he was healthy. I don't know that he'll appear in another game this season. I think Syndergaard not just wanted to prove he's healthy, but wanted to prove to potential free agent suitors that he can throw still 96 and he can say, hey, I held back. I'm going to be back to 99 hundo. But then when asked, Noah Syndergaard had an interesting quote. I'm fairly confident that we'll reach an agreement and I'll be pitching here next year. And he said that he would be grateful, quote unquote, to receive a qualifying offer calling it definitely something I'm hopeful for. Remember, I told you the Mets are going to give him that qualifying offer because they're the Mets and they have the money to. But an ordinary team, 24 of the 30 teams would not give Syndergaard a qualifying offer. You can't afford to pay him $20 million for one year, given the fact that he faced three batters in 2021, having faced nobody in 2020 or 19 or 19 and 20 or 20 and 21. I'm completely forgetting when he got hurt, but he definitely didn't pitch in 20. He only pitched this one inning in 21. So I'm going to say those are the two seasons he missed. When did he get hurt, Coca? When did he have his, uh, his surgery? Was it at the end of 19 or was it the beginning? It wasn't during the 20 season. Did he get hurt in spring training of the, uh, of, uh, the pre-pandemic spring training? Anyway, it doesn't much matter. There is no team out there who's going to look at his one inning and say, hey, I'm comfortable now. I'll sign him to a long-term deal. So what players do when they're coming off Tommy John and they're free agents is they generally take one of two things. They either take a small amount of guarantee in their year coming off Tommy John, like $4 million base with incentives if they pitch and start 25 games where they can make another 8 or 10 or $12 million to get toward the qualifying offer of $20 million. Or they signed a two-year guaranteed contract where a team gets a break in the first year, let's say $5 million guaranteed, but then guarantees $20 million or $25 million in year two, and you don't know whether or not he's going to even come back or be effective. And if he does come back, you don't know if he's going to be effective. So that's the sort of deal that teams can make. The Marlins couldn't do that, right? Because you can't afford to be wrong if a player doesn't make it all the way back from Tommy John. And so Syndergaard got in March of 2020. So he missed all of 20 and all of 21, except for this one game. So when Syndergaard says that he'd be grateful for the qualifying offer, it's because he knows that if he gets 20 million for one year from the Mets, he's going to accept it because he's not going to get more in average annual basis from another team in free agency. He's not going to get a three-year $60 million deal. He's not going to get a two-year $40 million deal. And he probably values himself which he shouldn't, but his agent's telling him that, as a $30 million player. Therefore, you take the qualifying offer one year 20, you pitch well, then you're a free agent, and you can't get a qualifying offer twice, assuming the rules of the CBA stay the same. So he wouldn't have the heavy burden of coming with a qualifying offer, which has a quashing impact on other teams signing you, because when you sign a player who got a qualifying offer from it, his own team, you have to give that team your draft pick. So teams don't like doing that. No team is going to sign Syndergaard if the Mets give him a qualifying offer. Because not only are you getting uncertainty with Tommy John, don't know what you're going to get on the field, but you're giving up a draft pick to get him. Not going TH. 
NGTH, period. Therefore, the reason Syndergaard's saying, I hope I get a qualifying offer is because I'm going to take it. If I'm the GM of the Mets, whoever that may be, are you listening, Theo or Billy or somebody else? Probably not. Don't do it. You do not have to do it. Yeah, but you're going to. There's a lot of times that we do things or say things that we're going to do and we don't do it because we don't have to do it. There's a lot of times that we make announcements that are leverage related, playing with the emotional strings of our fan base playing with the emotional strings of the local governments. It's how we roll. We do things publicly so that you're scared of what we're going to do next because you're uncertain. Every move we make as an executive team is planned, calculated, and effective. Yesterday night, it was announced that the Chicago Bears NFL team not that they're negotiating to potentially bid on the land where there's a racetrack in Arlington, Illinois, but they announced they got it. The Chicago Bears now own enough land in Arlington to build a new football stadium outside of the city of Chicago. Everybody was up late last night and up early this morning. The mayor of Chicago tweeting like crazy. The CEO and the president of the Bears tweeting, giving statements. I want to just tell you about these two statements and tell you what happened here. The Bears have a lease at Soldier Field. Soldier Field is old, decrepit. Eh, it's been redone a little bit, but not good enough. The revenue that the Bears get from their home games is de minimis compared to the rest of the NFL. There's been about 20 new stadiums since Soldier Field. And the Bears are a tenant, which means they've got to deal with a landlord. They've got to share in ways that their competitors do not share. Remember, in the NFL, the biggest differentiating factor between revenue from team A to team B is based on your game day. It's not like the Major League Baseball system where the biggest differentiating factor is not gate. It's actually your local TV deal. But in football, there are no local TV deals. Everything's national. So the Bears get as much local TV money as the Las Vegas Raiders and the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs. Everyone gets the same amount. But what's different is that if you own your own stadium and you have 80,000 people and you can charge unbelievably high ticket prices, that's your money. The Bears right now, I would argue, are toward the bottom of local revenue, local gate revenue, and they can't afford to be there. Therefore, they need a new stadium. Therefore, they want their own stadium. Therefore, they want to build their own stadium. So is it possible that the Bears are just using this for leverage to actually make an attempt to get the city of Chicago to put money into the soldier field, which was built in the 1920s. Forget the fact that it was renovated 18 years ago, which would make it old if it were a new stadium in 2003, the way things go these days. But there's a provision in the lease that the Bears have that they would owe the city of Chicago $86 million if they break their lease with soldier field before 2026. And they have a long-term lease going into the 30s. 
when you're building a billion dollar stadium and mark my words, a new soldier field built anywhere is going to be well over a billion dollars, $86 million to break a lease. Easy peasy. You're getting so many tax benefits and so many deductions for building your new ballpark. You're getting so, your new stadium. You're getting so much more revenue that you just take that 86 million poof. That gets paid back in the first two years of a new football stadium. So for you in Chicago saying, oh, they're never going to pay $86 million to get out of their lease before 26. It's an easy math equation. So therefore, the mayor's office is a little concerned. So they had to come out and say, we're not surprised they bought the land. We're not surprised by this move. We remain committed to continuing the work to keep the team in Chicago. That's what you have to say if you're the public, right? But then they went a little further and it made me smile. It made me smile thinking what we got done here in Miami for Marlins Park. Because then the mayor's spokesman said, spokesperson, excuse me. However, just at the Bears view this as a business decision, so does the city. That's how it's supposed to be. Except at the end of the day, it's not really how it is. The city will not want to lose the Bears to Arlington. The Bears do not want to change their name to the Arlington Bears. If Arlington somehow gets involved in helping to fund the ballpark and demands that the team name changes, that will be a deal breaker. So they won't. The Chicago Bears will remain the Chicago Bears, even if they play in Arlington. The Bears had a very simple statement, which says we're excited to have executed a purchase and sale agreement for the Arlington Park property. We're grateful to Churchill Downs for their efforts to reach this point. We appreciate the mayor and the village of Arlington Heights. <laughs> our goal is to chart a path forward that allows our team to thrive on the field. You might want to choose a quarterback first and maybe a new head coach. Chicago land to prosper from this endeavor and the Bears organization to be ensured a strong future. Do you think that it's purposeful that they wrote and the Bears organization to be insured or that Chicago land should prosper from this endeavor? And they didn't mention the Chicago Bears. They didn't mention the people of the city of Chicago. They mentioned Chicago land and the Bears organization. Every word that you put in a statement when you are dealing with a new ballpark in public financing, every move you make has to be fully calculated or else you're going to screw up. And when you screw up, you can't undo it because of the world we live in and the media world that we live in. I want to compliment the Chicago Bears and what they're doing because they are fans of the show. Don't worry if you're in downtown Chicago. It's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.